the prodigal son. <laughs> if it's his favorite subject, it's a prodigal son. And obviously, three characters to that story. You've got the, the normally it's the prodigal son, the younger son that we always talk about, right? But Marty clearly gives us the indication that, that it was the older son that Jesus was really speaking about. And we also don't really talk about the father and the father's response a lot. You know, where does he fit into that? But today's lesson is really a follow-up to the prodigal, to understand the prodigal story, to understand what does it mean to be legalistic? What does it mean to have legalism? What does it mean to take license? What does it mean to take liberty? Legalism is really what the older son dealt with. He was very legalistic. We'll talk about that here in a minute. License is what the younger son did. He was one that wanted to go out and say, I can do anything. Again, we'll talk about that some more. Liberty is much more where the father was, although it really wasn't discussed a lot. But liberty is where we need to figure out what does that look like and how do I live there? Because that's really what Christ has called me to, to, to be, is free, but not free to either take license or free to become legalistic. So we're going to look at that, and, and hopefully the takeaway today will be, how do I take the prodigal story and walk away and say, how do I live my life according to what Christ had called me to live in, in liberty. So again, no particular scriptures. There's several listed down here as examples as we walk through this. And I'm going to come back and give you at the end a piece that I think will, will, will be helpful. And unlike Cliff, who has no concept of the ending time of a period, yeah. <laughs> we will try to end pretty close to quarter after. I came up here last time to talk to him, and I, I thought, well, you know, 17 after he'll be finishing up. He wasn't even close. I didn't stay. I don't know how long it went. What time do you guys normally leave here? About 10.30? About 12? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what a great teacher. You guys are so blessed. I, I, the only thing I say about Cliff is I am so glad I didn't have him for professor. I would never be able to take notes as fast as he could give them. There'd be no way. So, all right. So on the prodigal, uh, again, oh, I give you one verse there that I think I've listed. Have I, have I written it down for you, the 2 Corinthians 3.6? Somebody read that for us. Read that verse for us. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Right at the intro, right at the top. Somebody just read that out. He's made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. So here's Paul telling Christians... You are competent. You are all ministers. You may not feel that way. You may not feel competent, but you are. But he said, be careful because it's not of the letter, which would be legalism, but it's of the spirit, which would be liberty. He really doesn't talk about license in this one, but this is a good verse to say, ah, he's telling me don't be legalistic. Have liberty because the letter, what? Kills, but the spirit gives life so the spirit obviously has something to do with the liberty side if I'm living right it's because of the spirit living in the spirit so again we'll, the Holy Spirit will come into this discussion so let's look at legalism first legalism I wrote it down here it's a little bit it, it's not the best piece that I've ever written but I would say it's the judging of conduct in terms of adhering to a certain set of laws or rules so it's conduct that's really around a set of laws or rules and if you think about it, 
Well, the Pharisees were legalistic, right? I, I wrote down uh, that verse down there, that Matthew 23, 13 to 32, I quote there. That's that woe to you, teachers and hypocrites, uh, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he writes it like six or seven times. He gives all these woes. Do you remember this, those of you who've read it? And those woes say, you're doing this, and you know, you're saying, look how good I am on the outside, and I'm telling you it's what's inside that matters. It's what's in your heart. Those are the types of things. So he's saying you're legalistic. If you want to read a definition of legalism, it's that Matthew 23 right there. That really defines it very well. And the, the, um, the challenge, again, with legalism is it's rigid. It's a set of rules. It's a set of regulations. But it's very comfortable. Why is it very comfortable? It's predictable. It's I can say that I'm doing a good job because I can click off the boxes, right? That's really what legalism allows you to do is click off these boxes. License, on the other hand, says I don't have to click off any boxes because I can do anything. But legalism is just as bad as it says I click off these boxes. Now, these boxes, they aren't my rules, so I don't have to worry about them. And see, it makes it easy to live in legalism. And I'll tell you, if there's anything we as a group, this group here, because we're here studying the word, we're serious about what we want to do, we don't tend to fall on the license side, but we will tend to fall on the legalism side. And so be careful as you think through how you're living your own life and what you're doing. It's very, very e easy to become legalistic. Legalism shows its head by this way. I've got to be careful as a teacher of this. If God lays something on my heart, maybe a spiritual discipline, Terry, maybe you need to be praying more. Maybe you need to be praying at 5 a.m., you know, and God lays that on my heart, and I go, okay, and I begin to do that. If I'm not careful, what will I do? I'll do what? Ah, yeah, it's exactly right. I'll go, what's your first name? Doug. Doug. Boy, let me tell you what God's doing in my life. You know, I'm all puffed up and going, let, let me tell you what I'm, of course, I want you to tell you how miserable I am, you know, until you feel for me, right? But I, God's called me to prayer at 5 a.m. And Doug, you ought to be doing this too. And Doug's going, I did not, that, that, God's not calling me to this, you know. <laughs> Have at it, Terry. But, you know, and if I push that guilt on him for not doing that, that's legalism. Is it right to God to call me to that? Yes, God can call me to whatever he wants to. Is it right for me to call anybody else? Not at all. And we do it with our friends. We do it with our associates. We do it with our children. We do it with our grandchildren. Be very careful. Legalism is insidious, and it shows up in these subtle ways. We really have got to get a grasp on how that occurs. Um, so that's that's legalism. Um uh, do we obey? Oh, here's, I wrote this down. I, I forgot to tell the last class. This, is, this was a great piece I read this week. Do we obey God to get things? Because that's legalism, right? What were the Pharisees saying? Hey, I'm doing this, 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 and this, and therefore, give me this. You know, I'm a good person. Look at what God, I, I get the power, the prestige, and, you know, all the things. So do we do things to get things? Or do we, I'm sorry, do we, do we obey God to get things? Or... Do we set ourselves apart, and I'm going to talk about this some more, something that I will call, that the Bible calls consecration. Do we set ourselves apart so, um, let me read it to you, so that God can get us. 
do we obey so that we can get things? That's legalism. Or do we say, no, I'm going to set myself apart, and God, you use me as we want, and now God can get us. That's a subtle difference, but it's really huge biblically. That's why this is a hard subject, because both brothers, when you think about it, thought they were right. The older brother, he thought, I'm self-righteous. That's the right way to be. I should be this way. Look at all the things I'm doing. But he, as Christ showed the Pharisees, had the what? He had the wrong heart condition, right? He had the wrong heart. The other son, who took the license on his side, in fact, we'll talk about license here next. Um, the, the, let's go ahead and write down what license is then. License is really, and there's, there, there's some other verses we can bring in here. Um, yeah, I, I, actually, let me, let me read a couple of those before we go into license. The uh, Mark 7, there the verses 6 and 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Amen? Isn't that really what this is all about? You're saying all the right things, but boy, what's in here is totally wrong. You've seen people like that, you know? And, uh, and as I tell everybody, is that an amen or an oh me, you know, when we think through that? Um, and then James, I, I quoted James here, James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. And I wrote that down to remind myself that one of the good examples of legalism is the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, and do you remember what he said? Remember what he said? It was, it was in two places. I think it's in Luke and Mark. But he says, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, since we know the story, we know what his motive was. What was he thinking? What was he thinking? What did he want Christ to say? Oh, man, you have already done good. You are there. You know, you are there. Come on in. What's really interesting is Christ doesn't respond initially to conduct issues because that's what the guy was asking. Isn't my conduct good enough? Aren't my rules and regulations, aren't I following those well enough to get in? But Christ doesn't answer that. What's he say first? Do you remember? Why do you call me good? And if you don't know the subtlety of what he was asking there, that's missed in the translation because of culture. But when he said, why do you call me good? He knew that all the, the, the learned people in Israel knew that to call somebody a good teacher was to call them God because only God was good. They recognized they were sinners. So if you came up to somebody and said, hey, good teacher, you're really saying you're so godly I can't believe it. Now, why would he have done that? Why would the rich man have done that? We do it. What do we call it? What do we call it? No. What do we do when we come up to somebody and say, let me tell you how good you are. Let me tell you, I really admire this in you. What are we doing? No, no, no. We're sucking up. We're sucking. Yeah, he's got it. We're sucking up. That's what, the, that's what that rich young ruler was doing. He was sucking up to Jesus, knowing that Jesus had something special. And he's sucking up because he really wants to hear, you're good to go. Now, Jesus responds and says, why do you call me good? Because he was saying, you said the right thing. But he didn't even know that he'd said the right thing. Because how does the guy respond again? Next time he addresses Jesus, what's he say? He only says teacher. He leaves the good off. So you know that he missed the entire point. 
You looked at me and called me God, and you were right. You didn't even know it. You were doing it for the wrong motive. Do you see that? That's an important piece of that story. And then he says, well, you know, what's the law say? Well, the law says this, 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 and this. And the guy said, I've done all that. And what does Jesus respond? You've done all that right, but you lack one thing. What is that? Sell everything, come follow me. Now, if we're not careful, we think we're supposed to go off and sell everything and follow Jesus. Some people are called to that, but most of us are not. That's not the issue of that story. Jesus says, I want your heart. That's what I really want. And again, it's the concept of consecration. We're going to come back and discuss how consecration fits into here. But what I wanted to foreshadow to you is here's the problem. We as Christians start off, and to even start the maturity process, where do we have to be as a Christian? We have to first be what? Saved. Here we're unsaved. I'm the natural man. 2 Corinthians 2.14, natural man is a man who does not know Christ, cannot understand the, th the things of the Spirit of God because they're spiritually discerned, right? So I've got to come to know anything at all. I've got to first come to salvation. I come to it, and initially when I'm trying to get to salvation, what do I think is important? What do I think is important to get to salvation? What do I think is important from a worldly point of view? Good works. I'm working at it really hard. I mean, that's what everybody's doing is working hard. And God opens our eyesight, and we suddenly realize we got the wrong idea because it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of good works, right? Lest any man should boast. So we suddenly realize, oh, it's nothing that I can do. It's only this free gift of grace. I accept that. And we come to this side of salvation, and we, we're, we're told that we're a new creature. Behold, all things are new, right? But it's not new as in taking away and giving us new. It's just we're giving something. We're given the Holy Spirit. We're not the old sin nature still there with us too, right? So we drag the old sin nature into salvation with us. And what do we immediately think? Well, we think, okay, yeah, I, I, I know I'm still not a good person. I still know that I need to change some of my conduct over here. I mean, I thought it was conduct over here, right? And I finally realized I can't get to salvation through conduct. So I come to salvation through this free gift. But I immediately bring the same thoughts with me. And what do I think? I need to start working on my conduct. And we work on it. And we struggle. And it gets all screwed up. And we're not very successful. And you know, it's kind of like dieting. You know, you diet and then you put it back. It's just that. And we go through this cycle and we go, is that the maturity that I'm supposed to have? Because it sure isn't working. We miss this centerpiece that's supposed to occur first. And that's consecration. And that's what Christ was asking that rich young ruler. Are you consecrated to me? We're going to come back and talk. Because I think if you walk away with anything today, it's the understanding that conduct does not change because of our effort. Just as salvation cannot occur because of our effort, only through God's gift to us, so can our conduct changes only occur through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we try to do them, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And the only way they do work is if we get consecrated. We'll talk about consecration here in a second. So, again, legalism is what you saw in the rich young ruler. He thought, I'm obeying all these rules, I'm good to go. Even when we come to Christ, we'll tend to drag legalism with us. It's such a part of our psyche of thinking rules and regulations that we'll do that. Now, some of us don't do that. Some of us act like the young prodigal. What he say? paraphrase it as a Christian, what would a Christian say? What's the verse say? When Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. Therefore, since I'm free, I can 
do anything. I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm not under the law anymore. That's what they told me. That's what my teacher told me. And so what does Paul say? Because he has to speak to it several times. But in Romans 6, 1, that verse is down there for you. But Romans 6, 1, what's it say? It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? In other words, well, guys, if this grace is so good and I want to show all this grace in my life, I need to sin some more. Show how good this grace I mean, that's what he's, that's really what license is. License is saying I can do anything. It's really a spiritual juvenile delinquency. It's being so immature to realize what God has done. Don't you see that both legalism and license say the exact same thing from a different polar perspective? They both say, I don't understand. I don't believe in this grace that God has given me. I'm going to cheapen the grace, therefore. I cheapen it on legalism by saying it's all rules and regulations. I cheapen it on license by saying I'm totally free. I can do whatever I want. Both of those do not recognize what God has done for us. God has given us this great salvation to say, look what I've done in your life. Therefore, what should your response be? Our response should be consecration. It should be, I want to set, it should be that I want to set myself before you, Lord. Tell me what you want me to do. And as I begin to study the Bible, and God says, here's what I want you to do. Here's the things that I want you to do. And, and to recognize I want you to do it only through the power of the Holy Spirit. I begin to not do legalism or license, I begin to see liberty. See, liberty is the more challenging piece to have because liberty is saying, I'm going to make an informed decision, an informed personal choice based on biblical truth. And that means i got to think about it. And the way it applies to me might be slightly different than the way it applies to you in your life and how that works its way out. Whereas legalism, I can say, well, I got all these rules, I'll just follow them, that's easy. Or license says, well, I got no rules at all, I'll do that over here. Liberty says, I'm going to take the harder road. I'm going to dig into the word. I'm going to see the nuances. God, how does this work out? How do we play this out? What's going on here? You see the, you know, you see the issues of the world and you don't just put them black and white. You go, how does that nuance into what you've called me to do? How should I, you know, should I judge others? No, okay. Who should I judge? Just judge yourself. Okay, what's that look like? Does that make some sense? I mean, again, that's the challenge you have. And so here we're on this license side, and the younger brother is going, well, just like Christians want to say, I've been set free, then I can do anything I want. The younger brother goes, I was born into this family. Look at my title. Therefore, I have the right to have half the inheritance someday. I think I'll just ask for it now. Why, why, why should I wait? Look how good I am. And that's, if we're not careful, the way some of us do in our attitudes. We come in so unconsecrated, so ununderstanding of what God has done for us and what God's calling us to do back uh, to, the, to this free gift he's given us, that we act like the younger brother and we go, well, I guess I can get, you know, I, I, this is, how bad is this? I'm not hurting anybody else. I mean, it's all those kinds of rationalization. You know, you've heard me say, you know, rationalization is just a, ra when you rationalize, it's just a ration of lies. That's, that's what we're really saying to ourselves. That's, that's rationalization. So that's what that looks like. So here's this younger brother saying, I can really do anything. It always plays out to the same ending. License always plays out ultimately to the same ending. And you see it in the immorality today. You know, you see it whether it's a politician getting caught 
and, and you guys, well, look at the results of that. That wasn't very smart. You know, why didn't you think about that earlier? It always plays out the same. When you thought about the prodigal son, how did that play out? He fortunately, finally, came to himself in the pigsty, right? When the pigs were getting better food than he was. But that's how it played out. How about in Old Testament? Give me some people who took license in the Old Testament. Because it occurs all the time. And we've got really good examples. Anybody think of one? David's a good example. David says, what's he say? I'm the king, therefore I can do anything. It always ends up with a, I can do anything is the final thing. It's for whatever reason. I'm in this family, I can do anything. I'm the king, I can do anything. I'm free in Christ. Do you see, you get the same rationalization out of it, the same rational of lies. David says, therefore, I can take anybody I want, I can do whatever I want. And he ultimately realized, now to David's credit, when Nathan approached him on the sin of Bathsheba, David said, you're right, I'm the man. And he fell before God, didn't care who knew it. And God says, there's what I want, a man after my heart, because we all sin. That's what I really want. Versus who else is a good example in the Old Testament? Adam and Eve was a good example. Yep, they, they, yeah, they said, uh, we can do anything we want, right? Surely you won't die with that. We can, God says we can do anything we want in this garden. And so I didn't even have that one written down. That's a good example. Give me another example, Old Testament. Solomon's a good example. Solomon was a good example of that. Really, the whole, all the kings have got the same problem. Solomon had the problem. David had the problem. Saul had the problem to begin with. How about Samson? I wrote Samson down. He's got so many good stories about him and how he just took it on and on and on and on. And God kept trying to show him, look at the results of this, you know. But he was so driven. And... I think Samson is a really good example to men for this reason. I don't know about women, but on the men's side, I believe that every man has something in their life that I'll call a life-dominating sin. It's a sin that God never allows you to fully get over. You learn to work with it. You learn to grow through it, but you'll take it to your grave. It's still a temptation if you're not careful. In my case, I'm a good example. Soft pornography, I've got to really watch. You know, if I see images like that, I just recognize I can get sucked into that wrong thinking. And other men go, well, that's not an issue. I see other men that have trouble with whatever it is, you know, could be working too much, could be whatever it is. And I go, well, I don't have trouble with that. But all men, I'm convinced now, having talked to enough men, we all have something that dominates us. We don't often admit it, or sometimes we do admit it, and we finally start to get worked out. That's why it's so important for men to get together and really be accountable. Sorry, I diverted there. I just that 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 uh, that came up as a, as a thought though um, to share with you. That's license, though. That's the problem of license is we get sucked into it, but it's always the same issue, and that is I'm this, therefore I can do this, or I'm strong enough, I don't have to worry about. You know, if alcohol is an issue to you, you got to stay away from it. But often you'll say to yourself, oh, I'm strong enough. Now, I mean, my dad was a manic depressive, so. He finally, when lithium came out, it was a really a wonder drug to him. But he'd get to points in his life, he'd go, well, I think I'm okay now. I don't think I need to take it. And he'd go right off the end of the cliff again. So those are the kinds of things, if we're not careful, we do. So what does liberty look like? Well, how does liberty play its way out, if not license? By the way, there's some licensed versions there that I wrote down. Uh, Jude says, uh, we've got to contend for the faith. And it says, because there are bad people that pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. And that license for immorality is really what that, th this whole issue of license is. It's a license to do something against God's word, against his command. Typically, 
in what we call one of the grosser sins, but, you know, into that way. And so what ends up happening, again, is we get sucked down that path. We talked about Romans, um, Galatians, the first Peter both say the same thing. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Amen? You're free in Christ. Don't use it for evil, either in your own life or in others. So what's liberty? Well, liberty, again, is a biblical truth causing us to make an informed personal choice. It liberates us from becoming slaves to sin. It protects our freedoms to enjoy the blessings that God has brought into our lives or wants to bring into our lives. That's really what liberty is. And a couple things I wrote down that I think really are, are takeaways as, a, as kind of a quote. Liberty is faith demonstrated by works. Liberty, liberty is faith demonstrated by works. Well, what's that mean? You know, James says, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers. If we're not careful, we can just immediately become doers. Remember I said we're saved here and then we become doers. If we're not careful, that doing is in our own strength and it'll end up as wood, hay, and stubble. So you have to realize that true doing, as James talked about, is putting a faith element to say, God, I recognize what you're doing. It's going to be through you, through the work of the Holy Spirit, that those good works are going to come. Yes, we're supposed to do good works, but we need to recognize how that, how that occurs. Um, liberty does not mean the absence of law. Some people would say, well, gosh, you know, liber a, a libertarian today would say, I want less and less law. And I'm, I'm not disagreeing that we've got too many laws in some cases, but an absence of law leads to total lawlessness, right? So true liberty, if you think about it, here's what the world in the United States says today. True freedom, they want to say, they want to say freedom is the right to do what I want to do, right? They say, look at the laws we have in the United States. I got the freedom to do and say what I want to do. And they think they have freedom. But you can see the results of that. You can see some of the chaos that occurs. Whereas we have true freedom. What is true freedom? True freedom is having the power to do what you ought to do. And why do we have true freedom? Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. The world does not. They're still slaves to what? Sin. We can choose to be slaves to righteousness. That's the difference. That's why we have true freedom. Because we can be slaves to God and therefore righteousness because of the Holy Spirit in us. Therefore, we have the power to do what we ought to do. They don't. They may try. They try really hard. And they look like some really good people, but they get very frustrated. And again, as Christians, we can do the same if we're not doing it in the, in, in the right way. Um, I wrote down here 1 Corinthians 8. They're the verses 1 to 4 and 9. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block. So what I would encourage you to do is to think about these verses. Go back and read all these verses. Ask yourself, do I fully understand what God is saying how does legalism apply? How does license apply? How does the liberty apply? Well, here's the piece. How are we doing? Oh, we got plenty of time. Oh, gosh, this class can go on forever. Um, so here, here we are, and we're going, how do I apply the liberty side? I, you know, I'm an engineer, so I see, I, I, I tend to see how we do things, at least in my world of engineering, and I get all these young engineers out of school, and they all go, okay, here's the answer. You know, we, we give them an assignment, they bring it back, and I go, nah, that's not the right answer. Well, how do you know? You didn't work on the assignment. Well, I happen to know that the, you know, that you, you told me it's 575, and I happen to know that it can't be less than 1,000, so it's got to be something above that, and they've made them an error somewhere. 
And I'm realizing they've all been taught that there's one answer to a problem, and it's the four decimal places. That's what they learned in school, right? That's how they see things. And I've got to re, I, got to, I do a lot of coaching now to help them see that truth is bounded by two, two pieces. And, and you'll laugh. I didn't tell us the last class. But I, I ask my young engineers, I say, here's the question. This was actually on one of the exams, uh, final exam for uh, the University of Chicago. And the question was, how many piano tuners are there in the city of Chicago? And I'll ask the engineer, how many piano tuners are there in the city of Oklahoma City? How am I supposed to know that? What do I, you know, I said, well, the, the president of the company walks in and asks you that question. What are you going to tell him? I guess I'm going to tell him I don't know or it depends. And I said, and he walks away, and what value have you brought? Zero. I said, in fact, you know a lot. Would you bet your life there's at least one piano tuner in the city of, of uh, Oklahoma City? Yes? How many would bet their life there's at least one piano tuner? How many would bet their life there's at least 10? How many would bet their life there's at least 100? Maybe, right? But 10 for sure, right? How many would bet their life that there's no more than 10,000? There's not more than 10,000 in this city. You know, how many would bet their life that there's not more than 1,000? Well, maybe not. So I said, in five seconds, you know that it's somewhere between 10 and 1,000. And you tell the president, it's somewhere between 10 and 1,000. And he walks away and says, great, thanks, and walks away. And you didn't waste any time at all. Instead, what you were getting ready to do is spend three days finding out that there's 23.5 piano tuners in in, in city of Oklahoma City because one guy's only got one arm, so we only count him for a half. <laughs> and I said, Christians, in the same way, need to see truth. And sometimes we want to pinpoint that truth to four decimal places because we want to be legalistic. We tend to fall on the legalism side because it's easy, right? You tell me what it is, four decimal places, I'll know whether I'm right, wrong, or indifferent. In fact... What we need to see is a lot of truth is bounded. If we know what legalism is, gross legalism, and we know what gross license is, we know that truth lies somewhere in between, right? And maybe nuanced one way or the other. So always ask yourself, what are the boundaries? What does it look like? Not what is the exact answer, but what are the boundaries? And then I'll work in between because at least you'll recognize if you're totally outside of the boundaries. Well, here's a way to do that for the liberty side. When you come to Christ, again, you're saved, you realize God has called you to some maturity, to do something. But we often don't recognize what does that process look like? What has God laid out for us as a process to mature up? How do I use that liberty in my maturity? Well, again, I talked to, to you earlier. We come to salvation. Initially, before we came to salvation, we thought what was important? Works, right? Then we come to salvation. We're like, okay, that wasn't. We realize that, but we still bring our old thinking with us, and we go over here and go, well, God wants me to really change some stuff, so I'll, be, I'll begin to work on conduct myself. And we come over to the conduct. We start working on works again. And we get very frustrated, and it doesn't work out very well. And we miss this piece here, what I call consecration. And most Christians work up through conversion, and they begin to work on conduct, they think a little bit about the consecration, which is setting yourself apart for God, but they get up here again working on works, and that doesn't work, and they stay cycling down here in the lower part, and they really never mature out, and they wonder why God's really not using you in great ways, because you got the process kind of screwed up. Consecration, when you come to consecration as an early Christian, 
What is your attitude? What's important as a brand new Christian? Because you've just come out of this sin. You've got this free gift, but your old self is still with you. What was your old self all about? Who was important in your old self? Me. When I come to Christ, how much me has gone away often? Not much. We bring a lot of me with me. And so we go, okay, I'm going to set myself apart for God. And the way we do it, I mean, it's we chuckle. We look back and we go, I had no idea I was so, what word do we use? Immature. I didn't know I was so immature until I looked back. That immaturity shows itself. And that first level of consecration, I'll call your, your self-indulgent. It's still all about me. It's still all. I still come and I go, well, God, I'll do this if you'll do this, right? That's a self-indulgent thing. So we start off self-indulgent. And then we finally go, oh, okay, I, I realize that I really need to do some more. I mean, I begin to hear some things, and I go to seminars, and I, I attend church, and hear good sermons and teaching, and it begins to make some sense. And I start to go, oh, I need to change some stuff. And I really, I, 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 I was here at conversion. I got that kind of worked out. And, I, of course, it took me a year to get my conversion worked out. I thought I needed to accept Christ every day. But over here, I'd run to conduct all the time. And I'd think, I need to work here because I know what to do, right? I don't know about this consecration thing, but I know conduct. So I'd run over to conduct, but then I'd realize, well, that wasn't working very well. And I, I call the second level as a struggler. I realize I, don't, I, I shouldn't be self-indulgent. But, man, it's a struggle. I'm trying to get this all figured out, and I'm working hard. And the struggling occurs because I keep coming over here wrongly. So finally, somebody shares with me, let me tell you what the life is really all about. I mean, again, I'm maturing up a little bit of my understanding. I've heard some things. And then I hear Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, or I hear Romans 12, 1, 12, 1 and 2. So Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, you have been taught in regards to your former way of life to what? How I many know the verse? You should know this, to put off your old self. You've been taught to put off your old self, which is... Totally corrupt, right? And to be made new in the renewing of your mind. Not to try to do repentance, by the way. We've been taught repentance is turning and going the other way. But repentance first occurs here. Repentance is changing your mind about something. Seeing it differently. Saying, I see it here. I don't have to worry about the conduct first. I need to see it here. So it's to be made new in the renewing of your mind and to put on your new self, which is to be made like uh, God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the put off, put on from Ephesians. Romans 12, 1 says the same thing. I beseech you now, brethren, by the mercies of God, to what? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And we go, we don't do sacrifices. We're not into this sacrificial system. But we begin to see that God has called me to sacrifice myself to this new life, right? That it's not all about me. And we, we, we some of us have seen... They're old enough to have seen the, when Bill Bright used to kind of teach it with you're on the throne or God's on the throne, right? How many of you have seen it that way? You know, show the picture. and That's really what they're talking about is am I going to put God on the throne or am I put myself on the throne? And finally, I lay myself and say, I'll sacrifice myself, Lord. I'm all in. Now, we kind of work through that because we realize God starts to show us some things that he's calling us to. And we go, well, I wasn't that sacrificed, you know. But we do get sacrificed. And we think... We're all in. Unfortunately, I'm here to tell you, you're at the midpoint. 
you're at the midpoint of being all in on consecration. And consecration is what leads to conduct changes because the more I get all in with, it's not about me, it's about you, Lord, the more the Lord can then say, let me help you work through some of these issues. Let me use through the Spirit, let me show you how to change some of this conduct issue to get your mind renewed. Ephesians 4.22, change my thinking. Um, and so I'm thinking I'm all in on sacrifice. Well, what we suddenly start to realize, again, as we mature some more, is we realize we're not just called to sacrifice ourselves. We're called to be full servants. And a servant is just a steward, another name from a steward. And so I recognize that I'm now just a steward, and it's not just about me laying myself down, but anything that God has allowed in my possession. Well, it's pretty easy. As I've matured to this point, I'm thinking, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm really, I'm pretty sacrificed here, Lord. And the Lord suddenly says, are you willing to lay your children on the altar? You willing to hand them over to me, whatever I ask? Some parents, most of us don't get, don't have to go through this, but God's asking us mentally, are we, are, are we willing? That's really what he's asking. Some of us are literally asked to sacrifice our children through disease and so forth. But most of us are not. And, I mean, I, there, there's a gal back in my home church in Indiana who is now, she's probably 90 now, and what an unbelievable, she's written a book on it, but her, guy, or her, uh, her husband was killed in ministry in a, one uh, plane accident, and she was left with two small children. She raised them, and when they were 19 and 20, they were killed in a single car accident, uh, both of them in the same car. So she lost it all. She gets remarried eventually, and anyway, she's had some great ministry through all that. But I'm going, most of us are not called to that much. But that's really, that servant is being a steward, and that stewardship is, am I willing to put my retirement down there? Am I willing to put all my finances down there? Am I willing to put my house down? I don't know what it is in your life. That's what Christ was asking the rich young ruler. That was the consecration question. It wasn't the fact that these possessions everybody needs to get rid of. He just knew that this man held those in his heart deeper than he held Christ. So we get all those laid on the altar, and we think, well, surely we're all in now. Surely we're all in now. Well, I can tell you, surely is not in the room. Because there is another level, and all the apostles went through it. And the neat thing is, is they told us about it. And the way they told us about it is the way they addressed their letters. You look at Paul, Titus, James. You go back into those books, and what's the first sentence in each one of those? Paul, a, a servant. And it, unfortunately, it's not the right translation. We think servant maybe is the same stewardship, and it's not. That word is really translated, it's bondservant. And a bondservant in Old Testament times was somebody who was a servant, had fulfilled their, their relationship so that they were going to be let free, and they told their master, I don't want to be let free. I want to be your slave forever. I want to voluntarily become your slave for the rest of my life. And what they do is they put the... You can read about it in, I forget, Exodus, Leviticus, I think. Anyway, you'd put the earlobe against the, uh, the doorpost and they'd punch an awe through it. And when you'd see somebody had their ear punched, you recognized they weren't a normal slave. They were a voluntary slave. They were a bond servant. That's what Paul and James and Titus are saying. That's consecrated. That's saying, God, 
I'm not just a steward in taking care of your things because stewards still have some rights. Servants still have some rights. How much right does a slave have? Zero. Absolutely none. And that's what they're indicating is, God, I am so consecrated to you, I am your slave. Voluntary my life to be your slave. That's fully consecrated. That's what this looks like. And it doesn't occur all at once, but as God calls you to deeper things, have you noticed it's a good thing God didn't call you to all your conduct changes from the day one, that he peels it off a little bit like an onion? It's because conduct changes occur only because of consecration changes. As you get more consecrated, more conduct things will happen. Well, what's really interesting is conduct is the external. That's the external, right, happening. And God finally, or you finally realize, okay, I, I'm kind of, this is really where I, I kind of like this. And so, you know, it's just like you got a good friend. What are you going to do with a good friend? If you got a really good friend, you start to do what? Spend more time with them. What do we call that with God? Fellowship or another C word, communion. These are all communion. I use C words. Conversion, consecration, conduct, so you can remember them, right? But this is, this is really about communion. And you begin to realize, I want to spend more time with you, God. I want to learn more about you. And you start to realize this concept that John talks about, this abiding, you know, when Christ is abiding me. You start to realize this branch thing, I'm supposed to abide in you. And as you get really close communion-wise, and you get to be really good friends, and you get to where you really begin to trust the Lord, because here it's a lot of faith, but in a different way. It's, I'm just, I'm trying to get consecrated, Lord. As your faith starts to build up, it's because I'm getting closer to you, Lord. I begin to see who you are. I begin to understand your, your characteristics. And because of that, God finally says, now I really want to work on some of the deeper things. And the deeper things are those things that are inside of you, your motives. And we call them character. People try to change both their conduct and their character by doing. And Christ says, don't do, but abide. The communion piece leads to character. The consecration piece leads to conduct. Those all relate together. We cycle through and try to do the conduct and the character on our own, and we get into wood, hay, and stubble, and we get frustrated, and we never get out of that cycle. And we can't move on you know, past character where you really get into the core of God's really using you in your giftedness and you end up at the end of your life and all this convergence going on where you see tremendous amounts of ministry happening. Um, it's really what happened, it's really what happened with, with uh, a lot of the, the uh, Old Testament people. I mean, you look at Moses. He was out in the wilderness forever trying to get figured out. You know, Paul took him two-thirds of his life before God started to use him, and yet look how he used him. That's convergence. But you see all that fruit he had, but it was all at the end. You know, and really, Christ was no different. What, 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 how, how much fruit did he have? It was all in the last three years, right, when he did his ministry. It wasn't very long, but he had a lot of fruit come out of that. So, again, I share with you, if you want to think about liberty, liberty is saying, I'm going to make an informed personal choice based on biblical truth. Biblical truth is... Don't try to do, be set apart. Don't try to do, commune with me, abide with me. Does that make sense? If you walk away with anything today, it's to recognize God is not calling you to do. He's calling you to make an informed choice which says abide. And by doing that, 
you'll have radically changed lives and you'll radically change other people's lives. Let me pray. Anybody have a thought, by the way, before we stop? Any questions, thoughts? Yes. Exactly. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It was Abraham saying when Isaac was supposed to be sacrificed, I know that God could raise you from the dead. That's my faith. God told me to sacrifice you. I'm all in. You tell me what it is. I am a bond servant. I'm a voluntary slave to whatever you ask, Lord. Don't lay it on somebody else because that's legalism. But on my life, you do whatever you want. And I'm going to abide in you. I'm going to rest in you. I'm not going to try to do, but I will do all that you call me to do. Good point. Anybody else? Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you are um, able through your word to speak to our hearts individually. Help us to see where we are in this process. I pray that each person here has already come to the point of salvation, to conversion. If not, that they would recognize their need is not to be here studying the Bible so much as it is to accept your son, to uh, accept you as their own personal Lord and Savior. And if if we have come to conversion, that we get out of the doing, the trying to change our conduct and our character, and we get into the, into the consecrating, setting myself apart, saying, God, I want to I be all in with you, and realizing that's going to be a process that's going to take a while. And anytime we think we're all in, we'll find out we're really not. There's just another level God's calling us to. Help us to see that and to really to abide, to commune with you closer. It's through those things that we're really going to be changed people. Help us then to go out and be doers as you've called us to be, as James called us to be, not just hearers. Use us in whatever way you deem necessary, Lord. We'll give you all the praise and the glory and all God's people said. Amen.